There are a few things that Christians um, really like to talk about. They like to study in the Bible. They like to uh, emphasize. They like to teach about. They like to learn about. Uh, and those few things that Christians really are drawn toward, among the many things we could be drawn toward, uh, there, there are those few things that really stand out. And they're things like the gospel of God's grace. Christians love to talk about the gospel, the good news about Jesus. It's so good to know that it's not based upon what we do, because if we're honest, we can't do enough. We have the sin problem, and so Christians love to talk about the gospel. It's about what Jesus did. He lived a perfect life, and then he went to the cross and was treated as if he, he did everything wrong. And then he was raised from the dead, and he did all of this to, to solve our human dilemma. Christians love talking about the gospel. It's amazing. That's why Christians don't even mind. They even kind of like talking about sin. Uh, because if we know how big our problem is, we'll see the gospel for the good news that it really is. So we love to emphasize that. Another thing we love to emphasize as Christians, learn about, talk about, go deep with, uh, would be good works. The Bible talks a lot about good works. Now, we want to get things in the right categories, in the right order, but when you become a Christian, not by your good works, by the good works of Jesus, but when you become a, a new creature in Christ, or you become a Christian, you become a new creature in Christ, uh, you were spiritually dead, you're made spiritually alive, you have the Holy Spirit in you, you're to bear fruit as a Christian, and so the Apostle Paul is clear, you're not saved by your good works, but you're saved, according to Ephesians chapter 2, Four good works that God created beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. And so we like talking about good works. What kind of good works should we do? Now that we're thankful for what Jesus did for us by His work, not ours. God, how do you want me to live? And Christians emphasize and talk about that a lot. There's a lot of emphasis in the Bible about what we do out of gratitude. Another topic Christians love to talk about, preachers emphasize, Bible studies emphasize, books emphasize, there are good Christian books, would be when this happens, it's for the glory of God. And so Christians are drawn toward emphasizing the glory of God. Whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, the Apostle Paul says, do all to the glory of God. If God alone saves according to His grace, not what we do, then He should be glorified, not us. Even the good works God created beforehand, that we should walk in them, so He's going to get the credit for the good works because He's the one. And Christians like talking about the glory of God. And, and we should because it's, it's like ultimate reality. I like to put it this way, probably too often, but I'll do it again. If there is a God who has spoken things into being, if he's our creator, if he's our sovereign king, then it would only make sense that our ultimate action, our ultimate good, our ultimate desire, what's true and right and honorable and, and natural, would be to give him honor, to give him glory. And so we're, we're, we're made to do that. And then because of sin, we don't. But then because of the restoration that comes through Christ, now, now we have that desire again. I want to do everything I do for God's glory and for His honor. Christians love to talk about these kinds of things. So let me speculate for a moment. If I could talk about one subject today as a preacher as a pastor, as a teacher, if I could talk about one subject that emphasized the gospel of grace and the same subject emphasized good works that come as a result. 
And the same subject, same chapter in the Bible, emphasized the glory of God. I'll bet that you would just be itching to hear about it. Because that's what Christians do. It's like, yeah, in one text, I wonder what the topic is that captures gospel, fruit from the gospel, all God's grace, the good works we're supposed to do, and it's all for the glory of God. Guess what we're going to talk about? Money. (laughs) We're going to talk about money. Bet you didn't see that coming. Everyone's maybe least favorite topic at times. But what's interesting, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, you can go ahead and turn there. In 2 Corinthians 9, we see those three themes coming up regarding one subject, and the subject is money. To a default, I don't like to talk about money in the church because um, so much abuse is done. We see it on television. Uh, I did not drive my Rolls Royce today. Um, I thought about renting an Armani suit um, and maybe some gold chains. Um, just to show you that um, I'm rich. I mean, I don't even know how it all works. But anyway, uh, my tendency is to overreact to that because I'm a pastor. I I want people to to know the gospel, not the prosperity gospel, which is not the gospel. And so I don't want to be identified with them. And to a fault, then I go way over here. And uh, we don't talk about what the Bible actually talks about. Um, Not those kinds of abuses, but what the Bible actually talks about, which has to do with the gospel, has to do with good works, Uh, has to do with the glory of God. And so in that sense, it should be a favorite topic. Um, Now, just so you can be aware, we're not going to talk about it for the next 17 weeks because it's the the favorite topic. We're going to talk about it today, but it should be good. Um, Next week, we'll talk about a different topic, and then we're going to be back to exposition, uh, starting the book of Acts in two weeks. So next week, we'll talk about Christ and his work, um, and then we'll start the book of Acts. But today, we're going to talk about money. Let me show you what I mean in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 15, um, so you don't take my word for it. It says in verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. He's just talking about giving and giving um, graciously. Verse 7 says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. See, that's where I was getting the idea of good works coming in. We want to abound in every good work. And it is related to to what we do with our money to a degree. Verse 9, as it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing uh, and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So it's talking about God giving so that we can, he gives to us so we can give. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God. Oh, there's that ultimate reality, uh, what should be our favorite topic. Uh, They will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Oh, this comes in light of the gospel, because of the gospel. 
and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. We're going to be back to that text. We're going to emphasize 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9. We're going to look at other passages as well. Um, but I want to basically do a topical message, um, 30,000 feet, uh, assuming very little. Okay, So if you're a brand new Christian and you want to know what the Bible says about this, I'm going to try to help you. The emphasis today won't be on, you need to do this. The, that may come, um, but the emphasis is going to be, here's how you do this in a way that would honor God. Um, and so that'll be my approach for this morning. Um, we're going to do it because it's a fitting response to the gospel. We're going to do it because it's a good work that should follow salvation. We're going to do it because it glorifies God. Uh, we're going to do it because we just finished Luke and this is a good time. Um, and we're going to do it because I think it's been 15 years since I preached a sermon on giving. Um, so I'm going to try to assume not very much. First of all, the Old Testament. We all know that the Bible teaches in the Old Testament that people in the Old Testament had to give 10% to be faithful to God, right? Wrong. Okay? Um, in the Old Testament, tithes... Never said that word before in my life, but I kind of like the way it sounds. Tithes were required. But it wasn't just one tithe. Now, I'm going to do this super fast because I want to get done this morning. Um, and so, uh, let me just give you the, the quick overview of Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you had the Lord's tithe, Leviticus 27.30, supporting sacrificial ministry of the priests. So if that's 10%, there we have a tithe, the Lord's tithe. You have a festival tithe, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 10 to 11, verses 17 and 18. Uh, that was for a national feast. If that's another 10%, um, we've got certainly more than 10. Uh, there is the poor tithe in Deuteronomy 14, verses 28 and 29. Uh, that's taken every three years. So if it's a 10% thing every three years, 3.3%, but the number's growing. Uh, we also see in the Old Testament there's additional required giving um, in the sense that you can't harvest all of your field. You need to leave some there for others, the poor or the traveling. Leviticus 19, some say that might have been about 1%, I don't know. Um, there are miscellaneous taxes at times on the people, like in Nehemiah chapter 10. Some have guessed that might be 1%. I wouldn't want to stake my salvation on it, um, but others have already done a little bit of that work. Um, and others have also said, well, when you look at the generality of it all, it seems to be about 25%, 23%, 25%. Now, if you think where I'm going with this is you should give 25%, you're wrong, okay? Just stay here. Don't leave yet. Um, just at least trying to start with Old Testament, and we think it's 10%, and it really wouldn't have been 10%. There's actually a lot more involved, okay? There were also other kinds of givings in the Old Testament. Some people call them grace givings because it wasn't a mandatory amount. There's something called the first fruits offerings in Numbers chapter 18, verses 11 to 13. Um, totally voluntary, no amount prescribed. There are free will offerings uh, in Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 and 2. Again, no amount prescribed. Interestingly enough, in Exodus chapter 36, the response is so great that the people had to be asked to stop. Okay? 
Um, they were so cheerful, to borrow New Testament terminology, uh, they were so cheerful in their giving that they said, stop, it's too much. Um, so the Old Testament's rather interesting when you try to figure out giving. Why? Why all of these taxes and tithes and all of this amount? Well, remember something that's really important to remember. Israel is a holy nation. We really miss the boat when we think in terms of Israel is just like the church today. We're going to be confused. Um, it's a holy nation. Okay, A lot of this is similar to like our taxes to take care of the country. Uh, and so it, it should look different in the New Testament. When we get to the New Testament, maybe there's some similarities regarding attitude and to God and, and there are no doubt similarities. But there are differences because when it comes to the church and the gospel and what Jesus said, you take the gospel to the nation of Israel. Is that what the Great Commission says? It says you take it to all nations. It's transnational. Okay, uh, We're not a holy nation in a specific sense, in, a, in an actual geographical sense. It's very different. And if you don't know that, it's going to be confusing. Um, then when you get, you get to the New Testament and you look for tithing in the New Testament... Well, it's used in the Gospels regarding the abuse in Old Testament Israel. It's used in Hebrews regarding Old Testament Israel. But I'm going to go out on a limb here and say it's never mandated or prescribed in the New Testament. Now, some people think I really blew it by telling you that. Shh, don't tell them that. They're not going to give. Don't let the word out. I'm just going to try to see what the Bible has to say. That's what we're going to do today. Principles for biblical giving. Okay? Principles for biblical giving. But I can't say it's Old Testament tithing unless we're the nation of Israel. Now, if you're a 10% tither, God bless you. Maybe you should give more. When you look at the principles. If you're not a 10% giver, God bless you. Maybe you should give more or less. We're not going to make it about that today, okay? And I'm not going to try to create a church split. If you think tithing is the most biblical thing on planet Earth, that's between you and God. I, well, I might mess with you a little bit today. Um, it's not a hill to die on, but I know these biblical principles are true, and hopefully it will help you whether you're committed to that sort of thing or not. Is that fair? We doing okay so far? This would be one service where we should have an offering at the end. Or maybe not. I don't know. It might be worse. Okay. I have a list of 12 principles for Christian giving, and we're going to go fast. Again, this isn't what we normally do. We're normally in a book of the Bible, but I want to give you these 12 because I really want to help you at least be informed so you can prayerfully consider how you are used by God. Okay? So number one, first principle is when you give, give as unto the Lord. Give to God. Give as unto the Lord. A good text regarding this. And if you're already in 2 Corinthians, you can put a marker there. We're going to be back there a lot. But a good text is Philippians chapter 4. So give to God. Philippians 4.18 is a good text. And this is how I want to try to think in my family. Okay, as there's need in ministry, as we want to give, and we want to give according to the scripture, our mindset is to be, I'm doing this as unto the Lord. If it's genuinely the Lord's ministry, then that would be the right kind of mindset. 
And so, and I forget this sometimes, and uh, you probably do too. So let's be reminded in Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, where we read this. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, where he says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, he's using Old Testament sacrificial terminology, pleasant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And again, he's in a different scenario, different kind of situation, apostles who don't have apostles today, all of that's fair and true for a different conversation, but the principle is there. They gave to support gospel-furthering apostolic-led ministry, and he was reminding them, yes, the gift got here, thank you, good job, you excelled in it, and let me, let me reframe it for you and describe it It's pleasing to God, which makes sense if Paul's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ because he's an official representative. And again, you see the application. Got to have a different kind of mindset. Uh, Now, if I think the church is a club, then I won't have that kind of mindset. But if the Lord Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and, and he gave himself up for his bride and we're called to make disciples and have our ministry move forward, you have to have a mindset of, okay, I want this to further that ministry. And if it really is, then it could be a fragrant aroma to God, pleasing sacrifice. Let's move on to the next one. The next one is principle number two, give liberally. I love to say that in conservative evangelical churches. The exhortation today at the church is to be liberal. Um, and some of you have apoplexy when you hear that, okay? Um, because, you know, you, anyway, I'm not going there. Um, <laughs> but, but liberal is good, right? Because it means, you, it means it's a lot. Sometimes we don't think political liberals should give so much because we feel like they're giving ours and we earned it kind of thing. And that's the whole debate. We're not talking about that. When we give as unto the Lord, we want to be liberals. We want to give and say, this is good. I'm not, I'm not going to hold back. I'm going, to, I'm going to share this. 2 Corinthians 8 is the passage when it comes to this. So let's focus on liberality. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 and 2. Reads this way. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches. The context is money. He's talking about it as grace. The grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, or as some of your translations might say, liberality. I think the ESV people were just nervous that there were too many Rush Limbaugh listeners and they wouldn't like that or something. And so they translated it generosity. But it's, it's liberality. Well, of course. And, and the context of our text too is God is giving. God supplies your needs. And, and if God is supplying your needs, then you know what? It, it makes sense that you would be kind and gracious in your giving of what God has provided for you. So be a liberal when it comes to your giving. Um, don't be stingy, my, my grandma Erna. How about that? My grandma Erna would say, don't be stingy. Um, well, stingy is bad when it comes to giving because God has been gracious to us. He's given to us liberally. God is a liberal too. How about that? Soundbite. <laughs> He's been liberal to us. He's 
I love the Ephesians 1 talk. He's lavished on us all the riches that are in Christ Jesus. Well, we want to be lavish in our giving to gospel ministry. Let's move on to the next one. If we, we're going to take the time, we can look at the widow's might, um, Mark chapter 12, and in principle see how she gave out of her lack, and she gave liberally. Uh, she was impoverished, but yet liberal. How about number three? A third principle for Christian giving is give sacrificially. Give sacrificially. Also in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, in verse 3, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. So that could apply to rich people. That could apply to middle-class people. That could apply to poor people. It's a principle. Liberal giving, but it's sacrificial giving. And see what's sacrificial for you might not be sacrificial for me, or vice versa. That's why these principles are so helpful to even pray through and think, huh, one of the principles is sacrificial. And that ends up being between you and God. It certainly is not a 10%. Um, and so even if you're a 10%er, uh, I want you to push beyond that a little bit and think, is it sacrificial? I don't tell too many little story joke riddles like this because I'm not very funny. Um, but here's one about a preacher and a farmer. A preacher came to a farmer and asked him, if you had $200, would you give 100 to the Lord? I would. If you had two cows, would you give one to the Lord? I would. If you had two pigs, would you give one of them to the Lord? The farmer said, now that's not fair. You know I have two pigs. <laughs> Courtesy laughs. Thank you. Did it go up on the screen? Laugh. <laughs> when Molly and I used to live in... L.A., we'd go watch the taping of shows, you know, whatever it might be, The Tonight Show or whatever it is. And, of course, everybody oh, laughs. It's because they're telling you to laugh. Anyway. Let's move on to a fourth principle. Give voluntarily. Give voluntarily. Second Corinthians chapter 8, we're also going to go back to verse 3. Emphasis on the last part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, and then look at the end there, of their own accord. Doesn't mean they all drove Hondas and, um, see, that wasn't funny. Uh, NIV says, on their own. It was between them and God. Doesn't mean they weren't exhorted to give. It doesn't mean they weren't instructed on how to do it with principles, if you want. But at the end of the day, it was voluntary. Um, that's why we, it rolls off our tongue sometimes to say, would you prayerfully consider how God would use you here? I'd love to help you with principles, but at the end of the day, it's got to be between you and God. If it's this kind of giving. Even in 2 Corinthians, Paul strongly urges them, but at the end of the day, it's between them and God. Voluntarily. Fifth principle for Christian giving is give enthusiastically. Give enthusiastically. How about verse 4 of 2 Corinthians 8? Begging us. I just can't wait for that day. Begging us earnestly 
for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. How about that? That just makes me feel all guilty inside. It's like they're passionate, enthusiastic. Please, we want to do this. We want to be part of this. We love to, 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 to be used by God in this way. I love connecting some of the dots and thinking it's because they're thinking about the gospel and they're thinking about God's liberality to them and they're thinking about the needs and they're thinking about loving other believers in response to the gospel. And they're like, I, I have to do this. It's pretty cool to see. I liked what one ancient writer said, Chrysostom. They did the begging, not Paul. Kind of cool. If you want to cross-reference over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, uh, regarding enthusiastic giving, um, I'll go ahead and read that. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. And then it says, For God loves a cheerful giver. What I wrote down for myself was, How is your enthusiasm level today? It's good to think through. I know God loves me in Christ, even when I'm unlovely. But now as a new creature in Christ, my desire is for God to find my actions pleasing to Him. And so, here's a way for God to be pleased. I probably need to be more liberal. Sixth principle for Christian giving. Number six. Give as a result of devotion to Christ and ministry. Give, give as a result of devotion to Christ and the ministry. 2 Corinthians 8.5 And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first. So before they give their monetary gift to help, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. I really, really, really appreciate that. And I'm thankful for that. Devotion to God first. It's almost like this comes as a byproduct. This comes as an after effect. The, 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 the genuine, authentic devotion to the Lord and it produces softened, produces desire, change. And the Apostle Paul is wise enough to see it. How in the world did you ever get a gift like that? Maybe, you know, Paul was asked by another Apostle. Probably not. But if he were asked, what was the secret? What kind of campaign program did you guys do? Who did you hire to get people to do this? Well, actually, what we did is we preached Christ to them and the glories of Christ and helped them to see and helped them to see His love and helped them to see His kindness and grace. And we tried our very best by God's grace to take them deep, if you will, into the glories of Christ and it just happened. I don't think I'm reading too much in between the lines to say that's what he's getting at. Let's go to another one, another principle. The seventh principle for Christian giving is give in promotion, excuse me, give in proportion to your spiritual growth. Give in proportion to your spiritual growth. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. 
one of the most fascinating texts in this, I think. It says in verse 7, But as, and I underlined and highlighted as for the sake of effect for reading, but as you excel in everything, there's going to be a comparison. As you excel in everything, and here's what he means by the everything, as you excel in faith, as you excel in speech, as you excel in knowledge, as you excel in all earnestness, as you excel in our love for you, oh, excuse me, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. The as word gives us proportionality. So, as you excel in knowledge, knowledge of God, knowledge of Christ, knowledge of the gospel, knowledge of how it works, as Paul prayed for the Colossian believers that they would be increasing in the knowledge of God that has to do with your spiritual growth because you understand better and you understand God's love better. So as you excel in things like that, as you excel in things like earnestness, as you excel in faith and speech, these are like, these are spiritual growth markers. And I suppose the list could be longer. As you excel in earnestness in prayer, as you excel in devotion, I mean, he's just getting at some of these basics of what you'd want to excel in if you're, if you're growing spiritually. The proportionality word is the as. As you excel in those things, here's another one for you. Excel in this act of grace also. Context is he's talking about money. He's talking about giving. So that's why I would want to say as a pastor to you, it's a spiritual discipline. We would label those other kinds of things spiritual disciplines. And so we just have to remember that. And that's why to, a, to the degree that I ignore this one, um, I'm not being used as a means of grace in your life, helping you to grow spiritually. I'm actually in the way of that. So pray about it, think about it, consider it. As you're seeing growth in other areas, this would be an area to grow in. Fair enough? Okay, let's keep going. Eighth principle for Christian giving would be give according to a plan or give according to plan. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. The decided word is where, we have, where, where I'm coming up with the, the idea of a plan. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. There's some kind of determination. There's some kind of resolved, resolve. There's some kind of intentionality. What Paul is getting at when he's writing to them, among many other things, he wants them to have this thought through ahead of time. And so, in principle, I would say, you know, that seems to be a good principle, to think it through ahead of time. Hmm. What is my resolve? What have I concluded? There's a plan. Should I tell another pig story? Or not? Okay. Another farmer was given two baby pigs and said that when they were both full grown, he would keep one 
and sell the other and give the money to the Lord's work. One day, he brought the bad news to his wife that the Lord's pig had died. What does that have to do with giving according to plan? Nothing, but at least it lightened the mood. No, it actually did. There's intentionality. Let's have a plan. A plan beyond... I got two pieces of gum in my pocket when the plate's coming by. Some kind of intention. Thinking it through. What am I going to do? Ninth principle for Christian giving is give systematically, which relates to the plan. Give systematically. I'm going to take you out of 2 Corinthians to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 for a couple of these. So if you want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, um, give systematically. First Corinthians chapter 16 verse 2 says, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. We'll read the rest of that in just a moment. But there is some sort of plan that seems to be systematic. First day, every week, there's some normalcy. There's a, there, there's a system. And everybody is called to do this. Each of you putting something aside and, and storing it up. Got to have some kind of plan, some kind of system. Um, I don't think the mandate is, um, well, you can get into all kinds of questions. How we're not an agricultural society and we kind of do things differently. I would give room for all of that stuff. That's why we're talking about principles. Um, there's some kind of system involved, some kind of planning involved. Tenth principle for Christian giving is give proportionally. Give proportionally. 1 Corinthians 16.2. The latter part of it. After the comma, it says, as he may prosper. Seems to be giving it proportionality. As he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. As he may prosper... doesn't mandate the specific percentage, but it, this text does cause people to say, as I may prosper, I do want it to be a certain percentage. It's in proportion to what I received. I know one Christian financial advisor, financial planner guy that uh, when families don't have any kind of plan and they don't really know what to do, he just always puts them at 11% just to get them off the 10% thing. Doesn't mean that's right. He's just trying to help encourage them to think about this in a systematic kind of way, in a proportional kind of way. Eleven, eleventh, and not final, we're going to do 12. Eleventh um, principle would be give to what lasts. Give to what lasts. And I'm going to quote Jesus here in Matthew chapter 6, in principle. 
In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think we could all agree Jesus knew what he was talking about. Um, In principle, give to what lasts. Every single one of us have to invest in things that don't last. And sometimes it's fun. You know? And sometimes it's just like, what a bummer. You know? Got to put a new roof on the house. Not a lot of curb appeal. Just like, it's just a new roof. This is silly. $8,000 later, $7,000 later, you're like, what? And what's it going to do? Wear out. Terrible. And on and on the list could go. And then you do other things that are a little nicer. And you're like, well, that, that's, I kind of like that. that. That looks good. We get compliments on your roof? No. But you get compliments on other things. But every single one of us in this room can understand the principle. And those of you who have had more birthdays than others understand it even better. Because you, you have more wisdom. And you go, man, that car was so awesome when we got it. It's like, it was, it was so awesome. You just want to keep it clean and waxed and in the garage. And, and, and now it has 190,000 miles on it. It's a piece of junk. You know, it's like, how long is it going to last? What a waste. Nothing wrong with cars. Nothing wrong with roofs. Nothing wrong with anything, right? Because everything can be used for the glory of God. And so he's, he's not calling us to, to, to not have anything because you, you couldn't even live. But it's a call to be wise. What's going to last forever? What's going to last forever? Well, what's going to last forever are people and their souls. It's going to last forever. And so there is a call to gospel ministry that's genuinely gospel ministry and that seems to be the thrust in scripture and and that's our that's our big investment it'll last absolutely forever and you could ask any financial advisor financial planner if you can ask them you know what's the best investment i could possibly ever make if they have a clue if they're a christian well there are other necessary things and there are other good investments to make relatively speaking but there's one ultimate one so I want to have that kind of wisdom. Hard to do. A pastor friend of mine said, I'm trying to help men grow spiritually because they're so neglected in the church, uh, by and large, and I'm trying to help them fall in love with things that aren't shiny. I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, now, women like shiny things too. Um, but he was just burying his soul as far as I'm trying to help. He was talking about men's ministry. Help them to love God, who they, who, who they can't park in the garage. Um, and they can't work on. Uh, the intangible. Um, and we're talking about God saving, God working. And, and, and a love for him and a love for people uh, who aren't shiny either. Um, and we want them to know Christ. 
Okay, let's go finally on this one. Let's go to number 12. Twelfth and final principle for Christian giving. I'm sure there is more, but I'm sure you're also glad that I'm going to end with 12. Um, Number 12, give in light of the gospel. And if I'm going to give you the full-blown one, um, we're just back to where we started. Give in light of the gospel, comma, as a good work, comma, and for the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 9. And that ties in with all the other ones. I want to give in light of the gospel. I love it that he ties it. This comes because of the gospel. And they're responding because of the good news of, of salvation in Christ and what he's done for them. That's leading them to be givers. Oh, and this is what's called excelling in good works. Now we know at least what some good works look like. It's the giving kind of good works. It's sacrificial kind of giving good works. And, and so it's there. And not only that, it's the kind of thing that gives glory to God. So now you know it's not a trick. I tricked you before to get you to think, I want to listen to this sermon. But now I've given you something really practical. Okay? Now, nobody can leave here today and say, well, yes, you could. But you shouldn't leave here today to say, well, that wasn't very practical. It's so practical we might not even like it. Now, here's what we need to do as a church, too. We need to think in terms of what's priority number one. Priority number one is the gospel. Promoting it and defending it. Then with a good conscience, we can ask new people who come to say, would you prayerfully consider being a part and serving and giving at Omaha Bible Church? Because we're doing what churches are supposed to do. So we need to keep doing that and do better at it as well. So we, with clean consciences, clear consciences, can say, this is what we're about. This is what we do. Come join us in glorifying God because of the gospel, promoting it, responding because of it, and excelling in good works. Okay? So now, I've got to pray for you. You've got to pray for me. And we respond. Fair enough? Okay. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for a break from our book studies. Thank you for the fact that you have given us money, um, resources. We know that you don't need our money. uh, And yet you certainly use money in our lives. Uh, Sometimes uh, it's something that tests us. Sometimes it's something that tempts us. We know that you're not trying to trick us. You're not trying to tempt us. And yet you, you use all these kinds of things in our life to see really where our priorities are. And uh, I'm sure it's true that none of us have perfect priorities. And so where there's conviction today, bring conviction. Where there's encouragement today, and people feel tremendously encouraged by the way you use them and the way you've been using them, have, have great encouragement abound. But do help us. Do help us as a church. Do help us as Christian individuals to seek to do things that would honor you and glorify you uh, and draw attention to your great grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.